All right, everybody awake? Who's your favorite superhero? Jesus. It's a good one. Anyone else have a favorite superhero? I like Superman. I like Jesus better. But I like Superman because he's strong and he can fly. And remember the movie when the guy in the diner messed with him when he lost his power and he came back and just busted him up? Remember that scene? I like Superman. Spider-Man is decent. I don't really know like what you're going to do with web power swinging around. I'm not sure if Batman is actually a superhero. What's Batman's power? He's just a rich businessman, right? He makes cool stuff, but is he, is he really a superhero? What do you think? It's a car. Nice car, too. I mean, it's got a mask, but he doesn't have superpower. Do you know, do you know that everyone here who is a follower of Christ, has superpowers? I'm not messing around. Did you know, in a sense, that you're a superhero? But the problem is, for most of us, we don't know what our superpower is, and we don't know how to use it. And in the Church of God at Corinth, there was some messed up superpower counterfeiting going on. Now, over the next six years or so, when we go through the next three chapters of this book. I don't know how long it'll take us. Let's say a few weeks. We're going to look at spiritual gifts. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. And this is easily one of the most neglected, misunderstood, and misapplied sections of Scripture. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at chapters 1 through 11, and I'm only going to get from 1 to 3. I'll just admit it up front. Next week when we get together, we're going to finish up this section. And following that, we're going to start unpacking what's going on. And I haven't really enjoyed preparing for this sermon because it runs contrary to a lot of what I want to believe. But you'll see as we unpack more so next week, as we unpack the the, the scriptures, what the spiritual gifts are, how they're used, and what the purpose of them is. All that will make more sense as we move on. Have you ever been on an aircraft carrier or seen an aircraft carrier? They're really cool ships. In a time of war, a carrier will put a plane in the air and recover a plane every minute. You ever ever think about all that's involved in that? The aircraft are stored below deck. Half of them have their wings folded up so they fit. To get a plane off the deck, you have to prep the wings, you have to fuel it up, you have to load the ammunition, get it on the flight deck, put it on the launching mechanism, and shoot it off the ship. At the same time, you're going to be recovering a plane, which has to be lined up in the sky, prepared to be brought in, managed to be brought in, hooked on the wire, taken off the deck, and stowed below deck. Every minute, you're running two two planes like this. You have thousands of people involved in the process, from flight deck to control tower to ammunition to fuel to all over the place, to make this work. Well, the church, in a sense, functions like an aircraft carrier. If someone on the carrier isn't doing their job, everything comes to a screeching halt. You know, if no one's fueling a ship, a boat, a a boat, what flies? Planes. It's not going anywhere even if everything else happens. And if no one's bringing the fuel to the fueling section of the ship, nothing's going to happen. Everyone plays an intricate part, but they have one little role they play, which is incredibly important. Well, the church functions based on the spiritual gifts that God entrusts to us. And if one of us doesn't use the gifts, the whole body suffers. And when the whole body doesn't use the gifts, well, the church becomes an institution run by the power of man, not by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it becomes a giant mess. I don't know if you've ever seen that happen anywhere. 
Well, I'm determined that we be a fully functioning, fire-breathing church body where all of our gifts are used for the glory of God. And do you know who has spiritual gifts? Believers between the age of 25 and 52, right? No. Verse 11, you'll see, every follower of Christ, at the moment you become a follower of Christ, is entrusted with certain spiritual gifts. So if you're a follower of Christ and you're breathing today, you got spiritual gifts. You want to know what they are? Bear with me. That may take a few weeks. We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read the text, first 11 verses, then we'll unpack it. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Another word you can put there is ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Spiritual gifts. I gave you a list of them them there in the text. There are three sections in the Bible that speak of specific gifts. That's one. The other one is Romans 12, 6 through 8. And if you look there, you don't have to. It speaks of the gifts of prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contributing, which is giving, leadership, and acts of mercy. The other places are Ephesians 4.11, where it speaks of the offices, gifted offices of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And 1 Peter 4.11 makes a reference to speaking and service gifts. Now let me say before we dig too far in, those aren't all the spiritual gifts. The Bible doesn't give an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts. Let me also say of the gifts I read to you today, some of them don't exist anymore. I'll unpack that more for you next time. For example, the gift of healing. Someone tells you, I have the spiritual gift of healing. You can tell them you're a lying dog. And I'll show you biblically why that happens next time. I'm not saying God doesn't heal, that God doesn't heal by prayer, that God doesn't heal apart from prayer. God works powerfully in many ways, but I'm going to show you what the gift of healing is and why it doesn't apply today next week. There's your teaser, so you come back. But for today's text, I want to be in the first three verses. And in the first three verses, you will see... The importance of spiritual gifts in verse 4 through 7 and 11. We'll actually bump into that today. The source and the purpose of spiritual gifts. And next week in verses 8 through 10, the types of spiritual gifts. Really interesting section here that has to be put in context. Corinthian church was a mess. right? We've looked at that over the past however many weeks. Divided over human teachers, divided over human wisdom, accepting of sexual morality, abusing liberty, prideful and subordinate, abusing the Lord's table, having fellowship with demons, 
We can go on and on and on. And now in 12 through 14, we're going to see that they're abusing, distorting, and neglecting spiritual gifts. Do you know what the common theme is throughout all the problems of the Church of God in Corinth? They brought worldly ways into the church. In every error that you see, they brought worldly ways into the church. And when the worldly practices were brought into the church, problems came about. I'll give you a real interesting church history theology discussion that should take me no more than three minutes. Give you a little background as we get into this. Genesis chapter 10, there's a guy named Nimrod. You ever hear of Nimrod? You know what Nimrod founded? It's a horrible name. What do you want to name the child, honey? Let's name him Nimrod. What city did Nimrod found? Babel. In chapter 11, you remember what happened in Babel? The Lord scattered the people throughout the earth by disrupting their language. Do you know why he did that? They were prideful. They were building this this city with a giant tower. God had called them after Noah got off the boat. He told them to be fruitful and populate the earth. And all the people lovingly disobeyed God and hung out in the same area. And then they started building this big city and they wanted to, they wanted all this power. They didn't want to be dependent on God. They wanted to be gods. And God said, get out of here. He confused their languages and sent them. But that Tower of Babel, that was the first time you had corporate false worship. And when they were scattered from Babel, now watch this, Nimrod had a wife named Semiramis. I mean, names were horrible back then. You won't find Semiramis in the Bible, but you read history, you'll see her name there. Semiramis is translated as different names in different languages. And they had a son named Tammuz. He's in Ezekiel chapter 8. You can read of him briefly. But when you translate Semiramis and Tammuz into different cultural languages, guess what names you hear? Asherah, Baal, Ashtoreth, Cupid. All false religion stems back to the Tower of Babel. And that's why you see common themes throughout all false religions. Have you ever noticed that? They they have incredible commonality throughout throughout worldly false religions. And in Revelation 17, I think it's verse 10 or 11, it refers to it as a mystery Babylon. It's where the, the false religions that were scattered at Babel are finally dealt with in the book of Revelation. Why well, I say all that, because I want you to understand, the Corinthians lived in the midst of a mystery religion, false religion culture, and one of the things taking place here was this ecstatic utterance and frenetic behavior that was associated with being close to a deity. Remember the prophets of Baal? How, how did they try to get Baal going? Remember? They flailing themselves and yelling and going into a frenzy. Oh, maybe he's in the bathroom. You remember that's in the Bible. You remember that part? They're going crazy. You ever, you ever uh, read about or maybe watch on Discovery Channel? Uh, uh, witch doctors in certain cultures. They, they'll be trying to, to heal somebody and they're dancing around. Oh, no, 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 no. And you're just like, what is, what is going on? How did Jesus heal people? By word or touch, you healed. And he wasn't, oh, no, 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 no. But there's a common theme in false religion, this frantic, frenetic lunacy and, 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 and crazy ecstatic utterances. And guess what was surrounding the, the Corinthian church in pagan worship? This crazy behavior that was common through all these, these mystery religions, these false religions. So you have the Corinthians coming out of this culture into the church, and they were bringing the worldly false religion practices into the church. Paul will primarily deal with the abuse of the gift of tongues. I don't like how the Bible translates the word tongues. I don't. It should be translated languages. The word tongues just means languages. 
And with the exception of 13.1, chapter 13, verse 1, so you've got to wait a couple weeks till we get there, it always deals specifically with the utterance of a foreign human language. Think German, Spanish, French, I don't know what else, but, but a language other than the English. Well, that's what he's dealing with primarily, but he's unpacking spiritual gifts. But what's happening with regards to tongues is you have coming into the church this, this utterance of, of ecstatic, frenetic, frantic experience, and Paul's saying, check, check this down a little bit. Let, let's get the head in gear and the emotions in neutral for a minute, because the worldly system is run by emotion on high and head in neutral. You see that there? So he's speaking to the church of, of God at Corinth. And he's speaking to people who claim to have these certain gifts. He's going to focus, and you'll see, on the gift of tongues. And he's saying, let's, let's put this in the proper perspective and use it according to God's truth for God's purposes. Imagine if you, you were in Corinth. Imagine it's a Sunday morning, and you go back almost 2,000 years. We transport, close your eyes. There, we're there. And you just, oh, we're traveling through. Let's go, let's go worship with the believers of God at Corinth. What are you walking into there? So you show up at church. You got some drunk people in the corner. You got other people slamming food down their gullet, you know, filling up on the Lord's Supper in appropriate ways. You have people broken up into cliques. You got some guy in front. Just, you know, people are fighting and they're going crazy. And you just walk in there and you're like, what? what is going on here? Well, Paul says exactly that. What is going on here? It might be entertaining, but it's not pleasing to the Lord. So Paul's writing... To that situation. Now, now watch this. The importance of spiritual gifts. Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The ignorance of spiritual gifts permeates our culture. I'll be honest, and don't raise your hand. If I asked you to tell me your spiritual gifts, I'm sure 90% of you are going to struggle with it, Yes? How many of you could just say, oh, I know what my spiritual gifts are, let me tell you right now. But you know we should. Now, when I first came to faith, I I took a spiritual gifts inventory. A couple times. My spiritual gifts inventory was wonderful because I was able to to basically pick out the gifts that I liked. It was personality profile. It's not the best way to pick out spiritual gifts. And I'll explain why as we go through this, but spiritual gifts aren't things for us to pick off a buffet. If they are, I'd take the gift of healing. That would be awesome. You know, I could go to the children's hospital. Boom! Everybody's like, woo, let's go. Right? I don't get to pick my gifts. In fact, it took me a long time to figure out my gifts. In fact, some of them you can, I can still even figure out over time. But as I look back over time, they were there, and they're not necessarily things you like. I'll tell you what is, I've heard is a spiritual gift. Some people tell me they have the spiritual gift of cooking. It's not a spiritual gift. Do you know why it's not a spiritual gift? I grew up Jewish. A lot of good Jewish bakeries. Spirit ain't working there, right? You don't have to love Jesus to cook good. You, you, you do have to have the Spirit in you for a spiritual gift. I've also seen a lot of spiritual gifts distorted. I have people tell me they have the gift of discernment. It's a real gift. But when they tell me how they use it, it's not what the gift is about. I've seen people claim to have gifts that don't exist anymore. I've seen people fake gifts, and I've seen people misuse gifts, and I want to make sure that you and I don't do that. My goal 
is that over time, and I'm not promising this happens in the next few weeks, but over time, whether you're two years old and you love Jesus or you're 102-year-olds and you love Jesus, that we're able to identify our spiritual gifts and use them as God intends because that's how the church is designed to function. I don't want anyone here to be ignorant or uninformed when it comes to spiritual gifts. When we are, we can't function as God calls us to. We can't love each other as God commands us to. And our witness to the world is corrupted and the devil loves to come in and counterfeit. All right? Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Now, now step to the side a minute and, and reread that. You know that when you were pagans, you know what pagan means? It's a non-believer. So when you were a non-believer, when you were unsaved, you were led astray to mute idols. That word led astray, you see in uh, Mark 15, or Mark 15, 16, it's when Jesus was led by his captives. It's a verb whereby one is led, but not because they want to be, but against their will. It's hard to do that with Jesus because he, he commanded and predicted all this. But Romans 6, slaves to sin. You know all those people you know who aren't followers of Christ? The world wants us to think of them this way. Well, they're, they're on a journey. They're, they're trying to find truth. And, and we need to just kind of love them and walk alongside them on this journey to truth. Well, that's just not exactly what the Bible says at all. The Bible says they're led astray to mute idols. What's a mute idol? It's worshiping a false god. It can't talk to you. It can't hear you. It can't help you. It can't save you. You know, on the back of the money, it says, in money we trust. Does that what it says? It should say that, right? That's one of the mute idols. Money can't help you. Money can't guide you. Money can't save you. But the devil can sure lead you astray by it. You can have a, a false idol anywhere. Kids can be false idols when you get them. Reputation. We've been through this earlier in Corinth. Well, he's saying to the Corinthians, and, and remember this for your friends, guys. Non-believing people are led astray. It's against their will, in a sense. They don't even know what's going on. They're being led to the slaughter, laughing and giggling along the way. We, we have to have, have pity for these people who are unsaved. They're, they're being dragged in an ignorant state, thinking they're worshiping something that doesn't exist, heaping God's wrath upon themselves, facing eternal damnation because of it. And they go all along the way, it's fun. The only thing that saves them is the gospel. That's what we're called to proclaim, right? Back to the text in our context. He says to the Corinthians, you guys used to be led astray to mute idols. Now knock it off. You're saved. Verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, if someone stood up today and says, I have a word from the Lord, Jesus is accursed. I tell Jesus says, get out. Right? But the Corinthians are attributing that statement to, to being a spiritual gift, probably either the gift of prophecy or tongues, and they're saying it's from a believer. How? You're right, spiritual gifts can only be had by believers. The Corinthians are calling this a spiritual gift because Paul's addressing it. How does that happen? Well, obviously it happens because a person who said it did in some frenetic, ecstatic state, and they went with the emotion, meaning they were closer to God, and because they were close to God, they must be true. Right? Now, the statement seems a little crazy. Jesus is accursed. But there was a false teaching that permeated the church at this time called docetism. You know what docetism is? If you know what docetism is, I'd be floored and impressed. In our time, most people believe that Jesus existed as a person, but that he wasn't God. Docetism was a belief that Jesus was fully God, but he wasn't really a person. The opposite of what we have. It was one of the primary errors that permeated the church at this time. 
Well, notice they say Jesus is accursed. They would differentiate in Docetism as Jesus being the identification of the man, Christ being the identification of the God, and Jesus was accursed, meaning Jesus wasn't a man, he was God, and the church is like, rah, 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 false teaching in the church. Do you see what's going on here? You have a counterfeiting of a spiritual gift, a distortion of false teaching creeping into the church, and the devil is just rejoicing and having a grand old time with this, such that they're accepting Jesus is accursed as a gift of the Spirit. Paul says, guys, come on and knock it off. You see what's going on in these first three chapters? Now, we would never, as the American church in the 21st century, with, with our expertise and technological advances and theological insights, ever be so easily deceived by the evil one, would we? False teaching can't come into our church. We're going to a quote-unquote Christian bookstore. It's everywhere. It's horrible. And as we go through this, you'll see how easy it happens. But Paul is saying to them, brothers, sisters, I want you to understand what spiritual gifts are and what they aren't, and what they're for. And I want you to know how to identify them and how to use them. And guys, you're living way too much like the world, like people led astray to mute idols, such that you got some cat yelling, Jesus is accursed, and you think it's from the Spirit. Come on, now! That's a modern-day Pastor John uh, translation of 1 through 3. So, the importance of spiritual gifts. If we don't know what they are, or we're deceived by counterfeits of them, the church will not function as it should. The devil will be able to creep in and he will counterfeit. Our witness will be ruined and the Lord's name will be slandered. Okay, this is important stuff. This is big business here. Watch this now. We also need to know what spiritual gifts are by the word of God, not by our own interpretation. Okay? The gift of healing. If you turn on the TV, you might catch good old Benny Sin on TV. You ever see him? Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn claims to be a healer. Benny Hinn is not a healer, and I'll show you why next week. But it says right here the gift of healing, doesn't it? And he claims to have the gift of healing. How do we test the Spirit to know? I'll show you that. But this is so important. Now, listen, I'm not going to share my opinion on anything here, because I trust you don't want my opinion. If you want that, you can catch me in the afternoon. i got lots of opinions. But when I'm unpacking the scriptures, I want to show you the biblical truth. And the biblical truth is we need to understand what the scriptures say so we can understand and test the spirits. And if we know what the scriptures say, we know that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And you say Jesus is a curse that is not of the spirit. Okay? The source and the purpose of spiritual gifts, four through seven. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Spiritual gifts. I wasn't kidding when I said as a follower of Christ, you got superpowers. Your superpowers aren't the ability to fly. Jesus can do that. I guess we kind of do that too when he comes back, right? We don't have the, the ability to uh, move planets with our hands or Jedi mind tricks. We have, we have real supernatural powers. A spiritual gift, this is telling me here, each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, verse 7. It's a gift given by God in which He supernaturally works through the believer to minister to other believers in a way that you could not possibly do on your own both in your local church and even in the church universal. A spiritual gift is something, a power of God that he entrusts to you. Where's Jesus right now? 
Anyone know? Right hand of the Father in physical body. When Jesus comes back, he's fully God, fully man. He'd be like, wow, that looks like a regular man, and that's not a regular man. Okay? He is physically located at the right hand of the Father. You know what we're called as a church, the bride of Christ? We're the body of Christ on this earth. Well, Jesus, when he went up through the Holy Spirit, entrusted certain attributes, powers, I should say, that he has to his body. Right? That's why you'll see sign and wonder gifts. You'll, you'll see abilities when he says, love one another as I have loved you. Guess what he gives us? The power to love one another as he has loved us. When, when he calls us to, to certain things, and you'll see him in the gifts, you'll notice that Jesus had all of these things, and the Spirit entrusts them to us to be used for the common good and the glory of God. First Peter 4.10 tells us why we have spiritual gifts, and it's for the use of the common good. Listen, I have a, a giftedness in the, in the proclamation, preaching category, teaching category. I could sit home in my little office in the basement. I could stay there all week. I could put sermons together. I could research my commentaries. I could read my Greek and my Hebrew and my my English translations. And I could put these sermons together and I can record them and I could listen to them all by myself and have a grand old time in the flesh, folks. But that's not what I'm supposed to be doing, is it? That's not why God gives us gifts to hang out at home and take care of them by, by ourselves. You know, if you, if you got the gift of, of healing, you just don't sit home and take care of your aches and pains. Side note, you know Paul had the gift of healing. He had a thorn in the flesh. You can think about why that was next week. Why didn't he just say, be gone? We'll get to that next week, but that ties into this and this point. The gifts of the Spirit are gifts from the Spirit that we're called to steward for the Spirit, for the glory of God, not to draw attention to ourselves or for our own selfish purposes. You see that? Every believer, look at this in verse 11, all these spiritual gifts are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Every single Christian has a spiritual gift, at least one, almost always more than one. JJ, you got a spiritual gift if you're a Christian? Yes or no? Yeah, Renee, you got one or two or however many more? Yeah, you sure do. Now the trick is, how do you know what they are? You want to know a neat concept for how you know what they are? It's really, really easy. What are these things called? What types of gifts? Spiritual gifts. You know what you do? Walk in the Spirit. It's not like when you come to faith, God says, Welcome to the family. Here's your introductory documentation. Linda Miller here are your gifts. Enjoy them and use them well. Mm, Doesn't do that, does he? He says, Walk in obedience. And as you walk in obedience, guess what you start to see? How God works through you in a unique way for the good of the church and to bring glory to himself. And as you go, and we'll unpack this a little bit more, you will see that's how it happens. You just walk in obedience to God and you will see your giftedness identified. The problem is, the more faithfully you walk in obedience to God, the more easily you identify the gifts of God. And then you'll look back over time and you'll be like, oh, 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 that's always been there. what one in particular I have is next week we'll get into this too. I, I, I knew it was there from within a week of when I came to faith, but I didn't know what it was for about 10 years. Okay? I remember sitting in, in a, a location and being struck in a very strange way in the, sense of, uh, in the sense of this gift of discernment, right? And I thought I was just an arrogant, prideful fool. Well, it took about 10 years for someone to help me understand, no, 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 you're an arrogant, prideful fool. But when you understand what that gift is, so it's a matter of walking over time, you identify these things. Surveys are, are difficult 
because it, they don't correlate to walking in obedience. But as you walk in obedience in the context of a, of a fellowship alongside other believers, it becomes collectively obvious what your gifts are. Okay? Everybody has them. No one, no one is kept from them. So all we have to do is to walk in the Spirit to see how the Lord has gifted us, and then to use those gifts for His glory and the good of the church. Well, here was a problem in Corinth. The believers are all craving certain gifts. They all, they all want the gift of tongues. They all want the gift of prophecy or interpretation because these were seen as like super gifts. So if you could get these super gifts, you were a super Christian. So we're all trying to get these gifts and people were faking the gifts and they're, they're trying to elevate themselves and look real good. And Ooh, look at me, look at me, look at me. And, and Paul's saying, listen, you're missing the whole point. These, these are grace-based gifts. They're not even yours. They're God's entrusted to you for his glory. What do you have to boast on if someone's entrusting, God is entrusting to something to you that's his anyway? You see what's going on here? Remember earlier in, in this book, Paul was talking about the divisiveness between teachers. Paul's saying, knock it off. Listen, if any teacher is teaching anything worthwhile, it has nothing to do with the teacher. It has to do with the one speaking through them. We live, we live in a celebrity worship type culture. And it permeates the church too. And you can see certain, certain preachers and teachers that can easily become worshipped and adored in our culture. And some of them are wonderful Bible expositors. Some are pretty horrible charlatans. You've got to figure out what's what. But anyone who speaks the truth of God, they're not doing anything on their own. Don't give them any credit for it. It's just the Holy Spirit working through them for His glory and the good of the church. You see that? Whatever gifts you have, if you have the gift of wisdom or the gift of knowledge or or the gift of faith, it has nothing to do with you. It's all about God. And Paul's saying to the believers in Corinth, "Let's, let's, let's not be ignorant of what's going on here, guys. The world is about drawing attention to self it's about building self up. It's permeated with lies and deceits and, and, and charlatans and counterfeits of the devil. We got to know the truth. We have to walk in the truth. And we need to live for the glory of the truth so we can be what we're supposed to be. You guys tracking with me here? Now, Paul will go through this list of gifts. Then Paul will show us, as we go through the, the next part of chapter 12, what the point of all these gifts coming together is and and how they work in the church. But I want you to to do some thinking this week, because next week will be a little bit different type of approach to to how I I preach through a text typically. I want you to think through these things. Spend some time thinking in prayer, God, God, what have you gifted me with? What what are these gifts of the Spirit that you have entrusted to me? How, How can I identify them? Okay? Now, do you know why you have gifts if you're a Christian? Because you deserve them and you're super special? Because you have some sort of unique ability that God needs to build his kingdom? You know, God's sitting up in heaven. He's like, oh man, I need need a strong public speaker to proclaim my word. Oh, I wish someone... Hmm. Remember Moses? Moses had some, some verbal communication issues. What does God say to Moses? He says, dude, I made your mouth. Quit, quit worrying so much and go do what I say. God, you know why God gives us spiritual gifts? I have no idea. It would be a whole lot easier for him to work apart from us. You ever, you ever go out with, with a, a little kid, take a two, three-year-old and, and a hammer? They, they want to help you build something. You know, I, I remember one of them over here used to want to help me hammer, build a, tool, a toy box for his brother. I was like, oh, good Lord, this is going to take seven days now. I could have done this in two hours. 
you know, banging every nail crooked and they're just wasting your time. But, but as a father, you delight in inviting your children to join you in your work. They're not contributing a whole lot when they're little, right? But, but you just delight in being with them and allowing them over time to contribute. So when you look at the toy box, they can say, hey, I did that. And they did. 52 million nails later, yeah, you got that one in. Well, guess what God does with us? It's the same type of thing. He gives us spiritual gifts because he delights in allowing us to join him in his work, even though we're screwing it up all along. You know, he, he is so patient and gracious. But then we can look back over time and say, well, well, Father, you used me in the process of bringing that person to faith. Father, you used me in the process of encouraging that person. Father, you, why? Do you see what's going on here? He delights in living relationally with us. And keep going further back and understand how that took place. We were enemies of God. We were led astray to mute idols. We were intentionally living in open rebellion to God, denying truth, spitting in his face, telling him for all intents and purposes, I want you dead. You're intruding on my will. And that's kind of concerning to tell God that. You imagine telling your earthly dad that. Listen, dad, shut up and leave me be. I got things I want to do. That would hurt, wouldn't it? Well, that's what we tell God over and over again. And God says, you know what? I love you so much that even though you deserve death and an eternity and the fiery torments of hell, I'm going to actually take that punishment upon myself in your place. Jesus left the, 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 the state of perfection, the place of perfection, came then into this disgusting cesspool of sin, had sin poured out all over himself, died on a cross in our place, faced the wrath of God that we deserve, and rose from the dead showing God's stamp of the Father, stamp of approval on the work, that in Christ we are forgiven by his work, not by our own. And then it just gets better. God says, I want to live with you forever. I want you to work alongside me. Jesus says, one day you'll be co-regents with me. This whole thing of abundant life, abiding in Christ, eternal life, is a pretty awesome thing when we do it, but we got to knock the spiritual gifts into gear so we can look like what we really are to the world around and function as we should amongst one another. So what I want you to take out of this today is understand we cannot be uninformed about what spiritual gifts are. We can know what they are. We can identify them in our lives by walking in obedience. And every single person who is a believer, who is a follower of Christ, has them. The you are special plate that I'm still hunting down in my house that I want to destroy. My wife has graciously hidden it because I'm thinking of all these different Bible verses that you can put on this plate and make it what it's supposed to be. You know what? As a believer, you are special because of Christ. You are special because of the gifts the Spirit has entrusted to you. You are special because you're able to co-labor alongside the Lord. You are special because you are the bride of Christ. Do you see this? You're special but not because of anything you have to do with yourself. Next week, we're going to go through these lists, and we're going to do this because I want us all to have a proper understanding of what the Scriptures say, of what these gifts are, what these gifts aren't, and how they apply to our life, to our context. And then following that, see what I'm going to do is take two weeks off. So if I offend anybody, I'll let you have a cooling off period for two weeks. After that, when we come back together, we're going to go through this. And we're going to begin to unpack and see the beauty of what it looks like when the spiritual gifts work together. Before we, we close today, I want to take communion as a church family. And if you'll remember over the past several weeks as we've spoken of what communion is. It is a, a remembrance and a participation, yes? It's a remembrance of, of what Christ did, that he became one of us, that he lived the life we couldn't. 
that he died the death we should, that he shed his blood for us, because without the shedding of blood, the scripture tells us there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. It is a remembrance and a participation of the fact that we are made children of God to live with him forever. And it is also a remembrance and participation of the fact that we are empowered by God to live for the glory of God as the children of God. We talked about the requirements for coming forward to the Lord's table. You have to have a card. If you have your communion card, no, you don't have to have a card. You have to have a, a new heart. You have to be a follower of Christ. If you love Christ, if, you've, if you have recognized the fact that you are a sinner separated from God, and there's nothing you can do to, to rectify that problem, but by the grace of God, through the work of Christ, you're totally and completely forgiven. If your desire is to live for God, trusting in Him, to never be complacent with your current level of sin, that you recognize Jesus is God in the flesh, that life is found only in Him, you are welcome at the table of God. You have to be a believer for no more than one second to come forward. Let's also remember the admonition by Paul not to come forward in an unworthy manner. We need to come forward and not make light of it, understand the reality of what it is. But I will pray, I will invite everyone forward, and then I will close with a benediction. Lord God, we just are are awed by the fact that you are who you say you are. We are awed by the fact that you invite us to labor alongside of you. It is too easy at times for us to think that we are pretty special and have some pretty great abilities to help you out. Lord, you're not looking for counselors. You're not looking for for gifts that you don't have. You're looking for faithful, obedient, humble servants to joyfully walk alongside you, understanding that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, but apart from Christ, we can't do a thing. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here. I pray that you would help us to identify the gifts that you've entrusted to us, that you would work through us and encourage us so we might use those gifts for your glory. I pray that this church family might be a fully functioning, fire-breathing body of believers who are able to do all that you command us to as we walk in obedience to you, using the gifts you have entrusted to us so we function at a fully operational level. Lord, as we come to your table today, I pray you would strengthen us, that you would nourish us spiritually, that you would enable us to live the lives you've called us to. I pray that you would humble us, reminding us of who we were apart from you, and encourage us and bring joy to us as we realize who we are in you. I pray as we leave here today, we would go out and serve you, that we would understand we live in the midst of a world of people led astray to mute idols, people who on the outside may look like they're having fun and put on a good good charade, a good act, a good facade, but who deep down are immensely struggling because they're not living as they were meant to live. People who one day will meet you and in a very real sense be separated from you for all of eternity, but who don't need to if they will turn to you and be saved. God, allow us to use our gifts so we might be a faithful witness, so we might faithfully proclaim your truth, so we might rightly test the spirits, so we might rightly bring glory to you in all ways. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to your table here as we look forward to dining with you at the great feast in your presence directly. What an incredible day that will be. We pray all these things in the precious and holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
I invite you to come forward.